It's good to be with you. Uh, good morning. Um, my name is Robbie Isley. I serve as the high school pastor here, and it is a joy to do so. It's always good to be able to come up here and open up God's word with you. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Rob for allowing me the opportunity to fill in for him while he and Becky are away. I trust it's been a time of just rest and rejuvenation for them. And I'm confident in speaking for all the pastors on staff that we don't take this lightly. We step up into the pulpit and we understand the responsibility to rightly divide God's word in his stead, in Pastor Rob's stead. And we, we enjoy doing so. And we carry the weight of doing that. And so let's get at it, shall we? Um, please open your Bibles to the book of Romans. We'll be in chapter 12. If you need a Bible, please get the attention of one of the ushers coming down the aisle. And they'll be sure to get one into your hands. Once again, it's Romans chapter 12. Uh, but before we get there, before we get started this morning, I want to bring to light what today is. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. On January 22nd, 1984, President Ronald Reagan instituted our National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday as a means to celebrate human life. And as a church, we serve a God who loves life. We serve a God, the God, who created life. And as the people of God, we are called to defend the defenseless, to give a voice to those who don't have a voice. See, there's a war that's waging and has been waging on human life in our country for decades. It's been, abortion has been running rampant, and as a church, we need to fight. And as a church, we have resources to help you get in the fight and join in. There's a table out in the lobby from Pregnancy Resources. It's one of our local partners. They have resources to help. And I want to address those who may be thinking of having an abortion. Maybe you're here this morning and these thoughts are going through your mind. Or maybe you know somebody who is contemplating this decision. We're here to help. We have a phenomenal biblical soul care team that's ready and waiting to help you through this decision, to help you contemplate our God and his love for life, we as a church and our love for life, we wanna help. And listen, if you are here and maybe you've had an abortion, no matter how long it's been, it's heavy. There's a weight to that and we're here for you as well. Please come see us, let us support you. God's forgiveness is instant when we ask for it. So please let us gather around you, support you and love you and help you through the emotions and the weight of that. I feel like I would have been remiss if I didn't say something about sanctity of human life, even though that's not our sermon for this morning. Uh, but, but please, I just I wanted to reach out and I wanted to say, let us help. But over the last two weeks, Pastor Rob has been preaching a mini-series that's really been kind of, it's, it's been causing me to geek out in my seat. Like, I'm the kid in, in class who knows the answer when he says, hey, have you ever seen the, the tablets? I'm like, oh, I have, I've seen that. He has, if you, okay, let me back up. If you, have, if you didn't see or listen to those messages, I encourage you to go back because what he did is he gave us very practical reasons why we can trust the Bible. And yes, the Tel Dan tablet is one of those reasons archaeology has pointed to it. 
And I've been studying that stuff and I love that stuff because it gives us evidences why we can trust the word of God. And this morning, I wanna lean into that trust as we look at Romans chapter 12 and I wanna show you how to live God's way. So read along with me as we go through verses one and two. Paul writes to the church in Rome, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans is one of the most theologically dense books in all of the New Testament. Paul spends an incredible amount of time teaching the church of Rome, and by extension us, vital doctrines of the Christian faith. In these two verses, we can see Paul applying his theology to life. And we need to notice how he starts this chapter. He says, I appeal to you, therefore... And I tell my students, when you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself one simple question. What's it there for? Because it's telling you to connect some dots, to go back to see what was said. And what was said was Paul was referencing the previous 11 chapters of Romans. The previous 11 chapters, he lays out the gospel. Paul has effectively shown us the way to salvation. In those first chapters of Romans, Paul has used what many theologians, evangelists, and churchgoers for decades have used. It's called the Romans Road. It's the Romans Road to salvation, and Paul has gone through these specific verses to show the people of God and to show the way to salvation. And I want to run through them real quick just so you know we're on the same page and you know what I'm talking about. It starts with Romans 3.23 is the first verse of the Romans road. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It shows our need for salvation. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It shows God's goodness and his love for his people. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It shows us what we deserve We are all sinners. Sinners deserve death. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It reveals to us our new identity when we are saved, when Christ is our Lord. And then Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the way to salvation. It's the Romans wrote it. That's that's what Paul is talking about. That is what he's pointing back to when he says, therefore. And he calls the gospel the mercies of God. Because of all of that, everything God has done, everything he's done for his people, all the mercies he's had on you, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And once again, we need to ask ourselves, well, why that? Why does he say sacrifice? Well, effectively, he's connecting some dots for us. See, in the Old Testament, we have a sacrificial system that God instituted for Israel. There were specific things that they were required to do to offer as sacrifices. They would kill doves and sheep and cows and other things and place other goods on the fire of the altar in order to show 
that they were devoted, that God was their God, and they were striving to live the way God designed for them to live. That was also their form of worship. One of the well, more well-known sacrifices would be the one for atonement, atonement of sins. They would offer up, they would, they would kill a bull or something else to atone for their sins for that year. Well, if we take an umbrella approach of sacrifices, that would be labeled in what Paul's talking about, but it's not. Because we see, we know that there's nothing that we can do to atone for our own sins. We can't offer our lives as a sacrifice to, to cover our sins, to justify us. And we know from Romans 5.8, Jesus was the sacrifice that did that for us. Romans 10.9 says that it was through Jesus we have salvation. That salvation is offered. So we know that we can take this a sacrifice for atonement and set it aside because that's not what Paul's talking about. But he is connecting other dots for us. We know that Jesus from the Gospels is the one who fulfilled the Old Testament law. So no, these sacrifices aren't required for us to kill animals and set them on an altar. They're not required for us to do. But Paul says that there still is sacrifice. He's clearly saying that at some form there's sacrifice and what he's saying is it's your life. Not the taking of it, but the giving of it. The giving it back to God. In other words, to live God's way is to live sacrificially. Live in such a way that everything you do is done for, done for God and done for his glory and it's done God's way. I want to give you three points this morning to show you how living sacrificially indeed does connect to the Old Testament and what it looks like in your life today. First, live sacrificially and obey God's commands. Obey his commands. God commands his people to live a very specific way, meaning he has rules for us to follow, rules that are for our good and his glory. He has dictated how we conduct ourselves in church and outside of church. Obeying God's commands sets you apart from the world. And as God's people, yes, you are set apart from the world. 1 Peter 2.9 says that Christians are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So yes, you are different if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And God requires you to act different. Different than the world, different than everything you see around you. And we do this by obeying his commands. In John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. God has designed a life for his people, a life that is good and is pleasing in his eyes, a life that is fully devoted to him. But this life does require sacrifice. We must deny ourselves, get outside of ourselves in the way we try to make up our own rules, how we attempt to effectively take God's place in our life and we try to run things the way we want them to run how we just discard everything and just focus on us. Jesus say, no, if you love me, 
you will obey my commands. Instead of focusing on yourself, obey God and live life according to his rules, according to the way he has perfectly designed it. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, obeying God's commands is contrary to our nature. Our nature says, focus on me, get what I can out of this life. Do whatever makes me happy. But no, that's not what we're called to do as Christians. Our lives require sacrifice, and that's denying our sinful pleasures, denying our sinful ways, deny the self. To help you connect the dots, in the Old Testament, they offered burnt offerings, which was their symbol, their commitment, and their devotion to God. They would, the Israelites would offer bulls and sheep, goats, pigeons, doves, and other types of sacrifices to show that they were truly 100% devoted to God. Instead of burnt offerings today, we show our devotion and our commitment to God by obeying his commands, by setting aside ourselves and our, and our sinful nature and obeying his commands. Next, to live sacrificially is to thank God. Seems pretty elementary, but it's so vital. Thank him and thank him always. Just a couple of months ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Top three holidays for me, it's like Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving for one. All that's really required of me is some years I have to put a turkey on the smoker. And I might be in charge of opening the can of cranberry sauce and digging it out and setting it on the plate. Because cranberry sauce, listen, if cranberry sauce doesn't hold the shape of the can, it's not good. That's the true cranberries. I love that stuff. That makes Thanksgiving for me. I make sure Anna has it. No matter where we're going, we have to stop and get the cranberry sauce. Mm. See, our country has set aside this day, Thanksgiving, for us to reflect and be thankful for the things in our life. And I would dare say most families hold to the tradition of going around the table or at least at some point during the day, say, hey, what are you thankful for? Name one thing you're thankful for. As good as that is, as a Christian, our thankfulness needs to expand past the third week of, third Thursday of November. It has to be a part of our life daily. Because when you consistently thank God for the blessings in your life, a very important thing happens. Suddenly your focus is off of you, and now it's on God. It's acknowledging the goodness that he has in your life and the gifts and the blessings that he has done in your life. There's an old hymn that always comes to mind when I think about being thankful to God for the blessings in my life. In 1897, a guy named Johnson Oatman Jr. wrote a song called Count Your Blessings. I love that song. If you're over the age of 35 and have spent any time in church as a kid or growing up, you would have found this hymn in a hymn book. And in these hymn books, it's just a collection of hymns where the worship leader would get up on a Sunday morning and be like, all right, open up to number 654. So we'd all, to get to 654, I would always try and get it like the first time, like, yeah, nailed it. And that's a hymn book. You would find these hymn books in front of the pew back in front of you. If you don't know what a pew is, it's a long oak bench in old church world that was designed in such a way it was so uncomfortable to keep you awake the entire time. If you were super lucky, your church would have a cushion just on the seat, not the back, because the grinding of the spine on the oak would keep you awake. These cushions were usually like baby blue or burgundy or maybe dark green. I was told last service that he had an orange one. Orange Cushions were great, but they didn't do well at keeping you awake. Anyway, Oatman 
got it. He understood the importance of counting your blessings. And the words saying, I'm not gonna sing because I don't want the bridge students to wonder who's killing the cat in the worship center. But the words read, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. And if you know the song, you're singing it in your head. You almost can't even recite the words without singing the tune. He understood the importance of it. He understood that if you're not intentional about thanking God and naming the things that he's done in your life, then it's far too easy to forget at best. And at worst, we don't even acknowledge the good things in our life. When you are thankful, you sacrifice your sense of self, your sense of pride, because you understand that you truly have nothing to do with the blessings in your life. No matter what it is, they come from God. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Our gifts come from God, whether that's a, a new baby in the family, a new job, new knees for some of you, probably me sooner than I'd like to admit. Whatever the blessing is, it comes from God, our loving Father. But that doesn't stop there. Blessings aren't all, always or only the quote-unquote good things but they're the trials too. The book of James tells us the trials that you face grow you in character and perseverance and therefore are a blessing. Just prior to the church, telling the church that good gifts come from above, James told the church to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. This is in the same chapter. It's right after. He's connecting those things for us. Trials are hard. Sometimes they're intentionally evil things done to us. Sometimes they're unintentional evil things done to us. Sometimes they're accidents. On October 7th of last year, I received a text from my wife, Anna, saying that Brad, a friend and a member of our small group, was involved in a hunting accident. While he was hunting, he was in a tree stand and he drew back his bow. So, if you're a hunter, you know what I'm talking about. There's a peep sight that's in the string of the bow. It's like literally set inside the string. So when you draw back, it aligns your eye perfectly with the sight of the bow to make for a more accurate shot. Well, this peep sight is, is just a piece of, it's a little ring of plastic, and it's less than inches away from your eye. And when he drew back, that peep sight exploded. It just was shards. And one of those shards shot straight into Brad's right eye. And immediately when I read that, got sick to my stomach. For one, I don't do well with that stuff. But two, I began to imagine the pain that Brad was in. And not just the pain, but the whole process that he had to go through. Because if you know hunting at all, you know the process that it takes to get out of a tree stand. It's not like you can just jump out. No, you have to tie your bow up. You let your bow down to the ground, set it on the ground. You undo your safety strap. You climb down a ladder precariously, usually, out of a tree that's anywhere from 12 to 20 feet up in the air. And he had to do this whole process. Then he walked to his truck. He got in his truck. He drove himself to the clinic. And from the clinic, they rushed him to Iowa City for emergency surgery changed his life, and I wondered to myself, how is this going to affect him? What's going to happen to Brad? Brad and I have had many conversations about his accident since that day, and yes, it absolutely has altered his life. Simple daily tasks have become more difficult. 
Grabbing a plate off of the edge of the table is hard because your depth perception works with both eyes. Parking his truck is hard because he can't see one side of it. His entire life has changed, but God has used this in his life. For one, it grew our friendship, which is probably more of a blessing for me than it is for him, but our friendship has grown from this. Immediately, Brad's, I saw Brad's focus was on the lessons to be learned. You know, the, the old how you doing question, that's a loaded question when you're going through something like this. But his answer was so encouraging to me because the immediate answer was like, I'm trying to figure out why God is taking me through this and what he's trying to teach me from this. What am I supposed to learn from this? Immediately he turned to his father, the giver of good gifts, and asked, how do you want me to grow from this? And yeah, I've seen Brad grow and adapt as a, as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a man of God, and yes, even as a hunter. He was back out in the woods. He has now switched from being a right eye dominant to left eye dominant shooter, which is not an easy thing to do. A trial that became a blessing for my friend. But that, listen, it doesn't mean the days are always good. There's still pain, there's still stitches, there's still hardship with it. There's still adapting to be done. Most days aren't great, but his perception from this, his perspective on this was, how can God teach me? How can God grow me from this? And using Brad as an example, I challenge you to ask that same question. Whatever the trial that you're going through, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, whatever that is, how can God grow you through that? And once again, to connect dots for you, God's people have made Thanksgiving sacrifices for centuries. The Israelites would show their thanks by grain offerings. They would bake bread and cakes and place them on the fire of the altar to burn as a, as a signal, as, as showing that they were thankful to God for the blessings in their life. See, our, our thanks don't come from burning bread, but through prayer and our attitude, a constant mindfulness of what God is doing through, in our life, through counting our blessings. Finally, live sacrificially and work to further God's kingdom. Work to further his kingdom. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the great commission. He tells us to go and make disciples of every nation. It's pretty clear. Get outside of yourself. Sacrifice your time, your energy, your emotions, your resources to do everything that you can to fulfill this command. To go and make disciples. God wants to use you. He wants you to be part of the team that is changing eternity. To do this work to further God's kingdom, you will need to sacrifice your fears, your reservations, quite possibly your reputation, to share your faith with those around you. This way of living sacrificially has been around since the beginning of God's people, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God promises Abraham that his people will be a blessing to the world. And when Jesus died on the cross for us, for us non-Israelites, it extended to us. It's not just the blood lineage of Abraham that is a blessing to the world, but us. And it's through your, the sharing of your faith, which God grows his kingdom. Listen, he doesn't need to use us. 
He doesn't need us for anything, but he wants to. He chooses to use and spread his kingdom through his people. So as Paul says, present your bodies. It's not just your physical body, but everything that you are from head to toe, your mind, your body, your spirit, everything. Present it as a living sacrifice. See, I showed you the how through our three points, and Paul tells you the why because he goes on and says, do this so that you are holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Living sacrificially is worship. I think when we read this verse, oftentimes we're like, yeah, that's cool, and we just kind of brush over that. But to live sacrificially, to live God's way is worship. Worship extends outside the four walls of the church building, and it's not just the singing portion of a Sunday morning. Even Pastor Cody was saying, let's continue in worship in our tithes and our offerings. You'll hear Pastor Rob say, let's continue in worship and open up the word of God. But I'm saying that Paul is saying it extends outside of that as well. Because if Paul was saying, and if, and if worship was simply the music, and you know, if you can sing in tune, then you worship just a little bit more. Or if you can clap your hands in, in rhythm with the beat, then, oh man, that's like another level. I'm glad that's not it, because I can't do that. I had to tell Cody and Calvin, listen, if you see me and everybody else is clapping, and I'm not, I want to, I just simply can't. You either get singing or you get clapping. It's not the same time. Can't do it. So I personally am ecstatic that my worship can continue outside of that. And I am not judged on my worship based on whether or not I can stay in rhythm. But listen, we are commanded to worship together corporately. It is good. Psalm 105.2 says, sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Yes, singing is worship. But so is the rest of your life. We need to remember that. To live God's way is to live sacrificially. To live God's way is to worship. Next, moving just a bit quicker. To live God's way, you must reject the world. You must reject the world. Look at verse, how verse 2 begins. Do not be conformed to this world. Reject what the world has to offer. And listen, I have, I have to say, to reject the world is not to hole up somewhere and become a recluse. As... Man, sometimes that's really attractive, though. Like me, my small group, Montana, a bunker. Yeah, I could do it. But that's not what we're called to do. Maybe that doesn't ring true with you. Maybe Montana's not even on the list of top million places you want to visit. Let me see if this rings true. You come home from work in your car. You push the button inside your car, open up your garage door, you drive in. You shut your garage door. You get out of your car. You go in your home. You live the rest of your night and your evening in home. You go to bed, you wake up in your home. You go to your garage, you get in your car, you open your garage door, you go to work. And the cycle just continues. That's just as bad. That's being a recluse. We need to get out of ourselves. Rejecting the world doesn't mean that. When I say reject the world, it's reject the influence that it has on your life. The world tells us to live contrary to God's way. Reject that. The world says that you are your own master. That you effectively can run your life better than any God could, especially the true God. That it's all about you. The world says live for you. If it doesn't benefit you financially or influence or increase your influence or power, then it's not worth it. Don't live God's way. Especially don't live sacrificially. 
Reject that. In Matthew 10, 38, Jesus says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He's saying deny yourself and follow him. He goes on to say, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we try to live for ourselves, we will do nothing but lose our lives. If you try to live for you and only you, only death is at the end. But if you flip that and you live for Christ, the giver of life, the author of life, you will gain life. The world wants you to hold on to everything about you. The world wants you to keep the focus on you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let that go. Let that go. Live for me and I will give you life. And finally, live God's way and constantly, constantly renew your mind. Look at how, how Paul finishes verse two. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And here it is but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul doesn't leave you hanging and just says, you know what, reject the world, don't conform to that, and then moves on to something else. No, he tells us how to do that. And it's through your mind. It's through the renewal of your mind. And the way this is written, it's, a, it's not a one-time deal. Like, now I'm saved, I've got a new mind, I'm good to go. No, it's a constant thing. It's a continual thing to, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, have the mind of Christ. And even, that's, that's so countercultural. that's so counter of what everything the world says. Even the phrase, have the mind of Christ, begs to be explained. It simply means that to have the mind of Christ is to see things the way he sees them. To view the world the way that he views it. To view your experiences through his lens. In order for us to do that, there are some very practical things that we can do in our everyday life to increase that. First, read your Bible. Simple as that, read your Bible. The Bible is God's revelation to his people. And you know what? If you want to know who God is, how he thinks, how he views the world, how he views you, read his book. It's all right there for you. Read his book. And this must be a daily occurrence in your life. This isn't a, a if I'm down and out, I'll, I'll read a quick proverb. Hopefully that'll pick me up. No, it's every, every day. Read your Bible. But... I understand if this isn't common practice, if this isn't a habit for you, it can be overwhelming. Over 31,000 verses, where do you start? Well, see, that's why our church does these reading plans. We're only a couple weeks into January. Pick up and catch up throughout the year. It's not like you have to double up for the next four weeks. Just, to, just get in the word. Read in breadth and in depth. Breadth meaning read a lot, get through it, Depth meaning read a little, and when I say read a little, focus on a verse, a chapter, a parable, a teaching, and pick it apart. Figure out what is the purpose of that passage. And there's some key questions that you can ask as you're reading to help you through that. First, who's the original author? Who wrote the words that I'm reading? Next, who is the original audience? Like, why was it written? Within that, know the historical context. Like, what's going on in the world around them at this time to make them use this language at this time? Know the context. Next, ask yourself, what is God trying to show me about himself? 
Like, what is God trying to teach me about who he is? And then finally, how can I apply this to my life? It's a simple way to really tear into the scriptures, to really understand more than just the the surface level reading of those scriptures. But you have to read. You have to. Next, pray. Spend time communicating with God. Specifically, if you don't know where to start, start by asking him to align your mind and your heart to his. It's a pretty good one to start with. Because then the Holy Spirit will reveal to you other types of prayers. Bring to mind scripture that you've read. It's good to read the, or pray the scriptures back to God. Pray. Pray daily. Pray continually. Next, another habit, a good habit to get into would be journal. Journal. Write down your prayer requests. Write down your blessings. Count them one by one. Go ahead, number them. That's great. See, it's a good practice to get into because we forget so easily. And three months down the road, how cool is it to go back three months and see how God has answered prayers? Maybe not in the way that you asked for or the way that you expected, but sure enough, he answers. Journal. Get, get your thoughts on paper. And one last thing to renew your mind is, as the kids would say, stop putting trash into it. Be careful of what you consume. Avoid filling your mind with, with garbage from YouTube, social media, streaming services. Protect your mind. It's a very valuable thing. And believe me, I get it. I know how easy it is to get caught in the reels and just scrolling you see one funny video of a dog talking to his owner and then all of a sudden it's two hours later, your neck hurts because the only part of your body that's moved in the last two hours is your thumb. It's easy to do. Be cautious. Instead, I would encourage you to listen to podcasts. Replace that stuff with God-honoring, Christ-exalting stuff, for lack of better terms. A couple of podcasts that I've really enjoyed is the Apologetics Podcast. That's what it's called, the Apologetics Podcast by Timothy Paul Jones. In it, he teaches you, he helps you defend the faith. He's kind of a goofball, but he's awesome. He talks about rock and roll and comics a lot, but in it, there is key components of the Christian faith that he teaches you to defend. Or if you like more of a story format, go with Emblems of the Infinite King. Emblems of the Infinite King. It's by Crossway. It teaches the core Christian doctrines in in a way that I've never experienced before. It's vivid, the imagery is awesome, and it takes you through them to teach you what Christianity is all about. Replace the trash with the good. Your mind is incredibly important. Protect it, grow it, renew it. Like an old house that is renewed with paint, your mind must be renewed with the things of God. Do these things, as Paul says, and you will be able to discern what God's will for your life is you will be able to tell what God wants from you. You will be able to tell what is good and perfect in his sight. Do these things and you will be on your way to living God's way. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us as a church live the life that's honoring to you. Help us live your way. Lord, give us eyes to see where we need to change in order to align ourselves with your will. Give us the courage to sacrifice our lives for your glory. 
Give us the wisdom to move when you want us to move. Lord, help us. Help us be a church that gives so much of our lives that the world can't help but notice. Give us a laser-sharp focus on your way. Give us a thankful spirit and perseverance to obey your commands. Lord, we need you. Guide us. These things we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.